0: In this very special episode of our podcast, we discuss the results of the ALPINE trial with Dr. Laurie Sen, following the dissemination of the results during the late-breaking abstract session at the American Society of Hematology meeting in New Orleans. Dr. Sen is a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Medicine at the University of British Columbia and medical oncologist at BC Cancer in Vancouver. In this episode, Dr. Sen discusses the impact of the results of the ALPINE trial For clinical practice in Canada, given the achievement of superior progression free survival of xanabrutinib over abrutinib for the treatment of relapsed or refractory chronic lymphocytic leukemia and small lymphocytic lymphoma. Hope you enjoy it. So, welcome, Dr. Sen, and thanks so much for joining us following the exciting results of the Alpine trial that were presented during the late-breaking abstract session at ASH in New Orleans. So I wanted first to ask you about the rationale for the development of second-generation BTK inhibitors following the success of the first-generation molecules such as nib.
1: Well, you know, we know that B-cell receptor signaling is really essential for CLL expansion and that BTK is an important component of the B-cell receptor pathway. So Ibrutinib, which was a first-in-class BTK inhibitor, was really a major advance in the treatment of CLL because it was a form of targeted therapy that led to very relevant efficacy and and really allowed us to move away from chemoimmunotherapy as as a major treatment for CLL. However, you know, there is room for improvement. We know that with Ibrutinib, there are some off-target effects that result in toxicities and tolerability issues, particularly the risk of cardiac events. Um, So the goal of second-generation inhibitors really has been to try and improve the specificity for BTK with a hope of, you know, lowering these off-target effects and hopefully lowering
0: toxicity, but also possibly improving efficacy. That's great. And, And what are some of the specific safety concerns with the use of Ibrutinib and how do you feel these might be improved on with the use of newer generation molecules?
1: It's been a learning curve for clinicians for sure in terms of the management of patients on BTK inhibitors. They come with a unique set of toxicities that I'm sure most clinicians that use these drugs are now well aware of. The primary safety concern, uh, to be honest, has been the risk for cardiac events. So we see, uh, you know, a con- concerning risk of atrial fibrillation, for example, with abrutinib that needed to be monitored for. Uh, Other risks include uh, hypertension, uh, risks of bleeding complications, myalgias. And, you know, of course, the hope would be that the higher specificity you have for BTK as a target, the lower some of these toxicities might be due to to lower off-target effects.
0: And so the, with the um, advent of the ALPINE trial and these new results, what is the rationale for that trial? And, you know, can you give your thoughts on the selection of the choice of overall response rate as the primary endpoint? So ALPINE, it was a large phase three trial. So it's a
1: one-to-one randomization in patients with relapsed refractory CLL who had received at least one prior line of therapy. And they were randomized head-to-head to either the standard dose of abrutinib which is 420 milligrams daily, versus the standard dose of xanabrutinib administered here at the twice-daily dose of 160 milligrams. In this trial, the primary endpoint was overall response rate, um, which I suspect was designed because, you know, we can get that information more quickly and You know, while response rate is an important parameter, you know, as a comparator for efficacy, I'd say that the more clinically relevant endpoint is progression free survival. And importantly, in this trial, progression free survival was a pre planned secondary analysis. And this is what we saw reported in this update of the Alpine trial.
0: Right. So do you feel that given it was a secondary endpoint, do you feel comfortable with the results being able to show superiority? I think that, you know, the
1: statistical evaluation with, within this trial was was quite thoughtful and and well planned. So although progression-free survival was a secondary endpoint, it was a, a pre-planned analysis and they used an interesting hierarchical statistical plan. So I I think, you know, from what we would have Anticipated, I, I don't know that we were fully expecting to see an efficacy benefit here. So it was initially planned as an assessment for non inferiority, but there was a built in plan that if it met its endpoint of non inferiority for efficacy, that it could then be tested for superiority with a more stringent p value applied. So I would say that, you know, that this should be a very valid design to let us assess efficacy.
0: That's great. That's very comforting. So, um, and then if you think about the efficacy results of the of the study, uh, can you describe your thoughts um, on the results for both overall response rate and progression free survival? So the primary endpoint was overall response rate, and that
1: was significantly higher with the xanabrutinib compared with abrutinib so it was 86.2% versus 75.7% with a pretty impressive p value of 0.0007 more importantly though from i would say the clinical perspective is that progression free survival was actually shown to also be improved with the xanabrutinib compared to abrutinib so this was assessed by an independent review committee and the hazard ratio was 0.65 i think you know also intriguingly that when they looked at the higher risk subgroup of patients with deletion 17p or TP53 mutations that that difference in progression free survival is actually even greater in that group with a hazard ratio uh, lower at 0.52 and looking across different sort of the other more important subgroups or i would say most important clinical subgroups that we recognize, including IGHV status, you know, all of the results favored an improvement
0: for xanabrutinib over abrutinib. That's wonderful. And can you talk about the absolute difference in progression-free survival and what threshold do you see as being for yourself clinically meaningful? Well, you know, if
1: we look at the two-year landmark, the difference in progression-free survival was just probably a little bit over 10%, so it was 79.5% for xanabrutinib versus 67.3% for brutinum. So, you know, I think I would say that, you know, that that absolute difference is clinically relevant. So, you know, in fact, it's about a 12% difference between the groups. I think also, you know, quite noteworthy, if you look at the absolute difference In two-year progression-free survival for the very high-risk group of patients, those with 17-P deletion or TP53 mutations, the absolute difference is even greater at, you know, 77% versus uh, just about 55%. So that's over a a
0: 20% difference in that subgroup of patients. And so what would would you think of as the threshold where you would say, okay, you know, above this percent of difference in progression-free survival, you know, that should have, uh, be clinically meaningful.
1: You know, I I think that I'd probably put that threshold at about 10%, and and here we're seeing more than 10% in the intention to treat cohort, and then as I said, you know, more than 20%
0: in that high-risk cohort. That's wonderful. So, what are your thoughts on the difference in the discontinuation rates between the arms? And could this have explained this difference seen in efficacy completely, or could there be um, other factors involved? So, there was a lower rate of discontinuation due to
1: adverse events seen with the xanabrutinum versus the brutinum. And this included a lower rate of discontinuation due to cardiac events as well. Also, importantly, there was a lower rate of dose interruption as well as dose reductions seen with xanabrutinum. So, you know, what this tells us is that the xanabrutinum was more deliverable. So this likely factored into the difference in the efficacy we see, but it probably doesn't tell the full story because we also see that there was a higher rate of discontinuation due to progressive disease in the abrutinum arm. So 42 patients actually discontinued due to progressive disease versus 24 in the xanabrutinib arm. Great,
0: great. And so just talking about the uh, differences seen in the adverse events between groups, what would you say were the most notable differences from the results? So importantly, you know, the
1: rate of grade three or higher adverse events was lower with xanabrutinib as well as the rate of serious adverse events, which was 42% versus 50%. Probably the main difference really was the lower rate of cardiac adverse events that was seen with xanabrutinib. So overall, it was 21% versus 29, just over 29% in the ibrutinib arm. But importantly, the rate of serious cardiac events was notably lower with xanabrutinib at 1.9% versus 7.7%. Also, if we look at fatal cardiac events, there were six fatal cardiac events in the abrutinum arm, but none seen in the xanabrutinib arm.
0: That's great. And what would you, if um, you can comment on what these results mean for clinical practice in Canada? Well, clearly, you know, the safety profile
1: is definitely in favor of the zanabrutinum, In particular, the lower cardiac risk. I think is highly relevant so this would lower the burden in the Canadian environment on on the healthcare system in my own practice when I have a patient who develops a cardiac event I usually refer them to the cardiac oncology clinic for management this is getting a little more difficult because they are you know at capacity most of the time these days and of course this type of specialty care is not available in many places and and to all oncologists treating patients with CLL so uh, I think that's a, a relevant decrease in, in burden in terms of management for complications. That's
0: that's great. And so based on the efficacy and safety data from the Alpine trial, would you then choose to give Xanabrutinib over nib in all patients where you would give a BTK inhibitor?
1: So the Alpine trial, you know, I think it is a very important trial in that it was a large phase three study, well-powered And what we learned from this trial is that, you know, compared to a brutinib, Xanabrutinib definitely had the better toxicity profile. And I would say, you know, also maybe a little surprisingly, but, you know, a clear uh, demonstration in this trial that it appears to even be more effective. So, you know, in my own clinic, I would say that Xanabrutinib clearly based on the results of this trial would become the preferred BTK inhibitor that I would choose.
0: That's good. And th- does that translate also into the comparison between Xanabrutinib and a even though they weren't directly compared? But if you had a choice of BTK inhibitor, would you uh, go for Xanabrutinib in this case? Yeah, that's,
1: that's a good question. You know, we don't have a head to head comparison of Xanabrutinib and a Although we do know that there was a, a prior trial that compared a calibrutinib to a brutinib in patients with slightly higher risk CLL with deletion 17P or, or deletion 11Q. And in that trial, while a calibrutinib showed a better tolerability profile to a brutinib, it didn't show an improvement in efficacy. So, you know, I, I don't want to get into too much in the way of tra- cross trial comparisons, but really Alpine is the first study that truly has demonstrated the superior efficacy of one VTK inhibitor over another. So I would say that, you know, I think it does make it a preferable choice.
0: Yes. Okay, great. And in terms of the uh, line of therapy, I, I realized that Alpine was uh, performed in a, a relapse refractory population. But would you if you were choosing first line therapy? Uh, as monotherapy, would you, uh, then also apply this there? So that's a really good question. You know, we don't have a
1: head to head comparison in the frontline setting, and I, I suspect we will never see a frontline comparison at this point. Um, but, you know, I would say that given the results of the Alpine trial, which was a well-powered phase three study in relapsed refractory patients, You know, I think that personally, I'd be willing to extrapolate this to frontline in terms of selecting BTK inhibitors for patients uh, who require it for untreated CLL.
0: Okay, well, thank you so much, Dr. Sen. I really appreciate you joining us, and I hope you had a really good ASH meeting, and thanks so much for sharing your thoughts on this exciting data from Alpine. It was my pleasure.